Mecham Auctions, the world's largest collector car auction company, returns to Indy with Dana Mecham's 37th Original Spring Classic, May 10th through the 18th at the Indiana State Fairground. 3,000 muscle cars, Corvettes, exotics, and more. Broadcast on Motor Trend TV and streaming live on Max. From avid collectors to those new to the Mecham experience, we welcome everyone. Register to bid now at Mecham.com. The Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline from Vegas right now. Yeah, he said last week that uh, not fun in the sun. There's a lot of business going on out there. Covering of basketball. Dustin DePurak of the Star is with us. Hello, Dustin. How you doing? Doing well, James. How you doing? So no Britney Spears shows or anything like that? Just all business? <laughs> Certainly not. Pretty pretty much all business. Come so on, far. man. Seriously? I, uh, you know what? I'll tell you. I did, I did one cool thing. I got a cousin who lives down here. I swear to God, he moved out here to be an Elvis impersonator. I'm not joking. No way. Dom, you swear to God. Swear to God. Now, he's been here for like 26 years. He's got gray hair now, so, you know, not not quite that, but he was a young Elvis impersonator. I swear in my life, this is true. And uh, so I went out with him yesterday morning. Uh, he's got a uh, he's got a boat down in Lake Mead, so we went out there, went for a ride, hung out there for a while. That was a blast. So that's the one non-business thing, but I figured you would appreci- appreciate. That is that awesome. I my family who was an Elvis impersonator. Yes, that, is, that is awesome. I have well, I've been at Lake Mead as well before. We, it's fantastic. It's gorgeous. We it's jumped beautiful. off a cliff. We were out there for a friend of mine was um bachelor party. Actually, I take that back. We were out there for my wedding. That's how cloudy I am. We were out there for my wedding and a group of us dudes went to Lake Mead and we jumped off. It was a cliff somewhere. Um, I don't even know where it is in Lake Mead, but we j- jumped in and then swam across this kind of channel esque type of thing got to the other side and there was a sign that said no swimming hazardous waste in it so wow. yeah and we'd, are, we'd <laughs> okay already then. done it we'd already done that yeah. though but lake, <laughs> Me- lake mead's pretty cool so, lake, lake, lake mead is pretty cool it really is i mean it's it's wild because you're just used to like when you're used to like out east at all or just, just anywhere east of the Rockies, like you're, you're used to the world looking a certain way with yeah. grass and trees and stuff like that. Then you get out there and it's just all these just like rocky desert cliffs, and then there's a lake in the middle of it, <laughs> and it's just it's just a wild scene. You're like, what what am I looking at? This is like oh, just it, you feel like you're on a different planet than you are. But the lake is gorgeous. It's beautiful. It's a it's beautiful scenery, uh, and, and it's a blast. So like my 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 cousin's got a really sweet boat from like 1979 that he like redid himself was just just a ball so really good time yeah, really you know, beautiful area out there i wondered when we were swimming in lake mead uh, how many dead bodies we were swimming over the top of to... uh, let's not even think about that probably a lot because <laughs> <laughs> i think all, i think they found one place, like a so year ago right found by anybody <laughs> didn't they find yeah. one in a barrel like a year ago out there i think they got a barrel uh, out of there and i believe that's sounds, the case sounds altogether possible for me i'm sure just everybody who was killed in the movie casino probably is out there <laughs> i think they utilize the desert but i bet there were some others (laughs) utilized there too hey for sure i I had referenced a little bit earlier that mark stein rumor regarding pacer interest in pascal siakam would that make any sense to you it's some i'm trying to think of what it would uh, what it would turn out to be i mean i I think uh he's just such a good player that it's like okay like if, if you have a shot at him you have to you have to consider it you know you have to think about it obviously it would make for a uh you know salary crunch of the year um, when Halliburton's extension kicks in and then, you know, you're still dealing with the last year of Turner's contract. 
so that's three pretty big deals uh, altogether, three guys that you're going to be paying a lot of money to. Um, but obviously, I mean, that's presuming you don't move Turner as part of that move, which I guess you probably would have to because, you know, who else would uh, the Raptors take uh, other than Miles Turner? Who, who else gets you there? Um, and I, I guess nobody would. Um, but, you know, I mean, obviously you've seen just the, the amount of inside-outside talent he has, obviously big, rangy guy who could really shoot and score from just about every level, get his own shot. I mean, he's just he's just kind of a freaky athlete. I mean, you remember him kind of on that Toronto team that won the title, and, and it was he was more like kind of not back to the basket, but, but more of a kind of longer rangey big. Um, but since, you know, Leonard left and whatever, and, and, you know, you've seen him just take more control of the offense, and he's the guy that's initiating a lot. I mean, he's just a really, really talented guy. Um, so adding that obviously ups your talent level. Certainly, it's a question of okay, what, what do you have to give up? You know, what do you lose um, in that case? I mean, certainly, I think he can he can play the four. I think he, he's, he's talented enough to play the three. Um, and so you're obviously moving some people around. You know, you know, some guys that would be expecting I think this year to have some bigger roles. You know, might lose them. I mean, again, you probably if you're going to get him, you probably have to trade Turner and Heal. Like I don't I don't know that you that. Toronto could even think about doing that deal for anything less. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that's, you know, I, that, that opens things up and moves things around. Um, so, I mean, like it's, it's, it's a weird one just cause it seemed like they were kind of getting to the point where they were settled. Um, but again, that, that's sort of the sort of player that like, if you got a shot, you got to at least find out what's going to take. I, um, I, I would find it a, too much of a misdirection of their current mm-hmm. path to really buy too much into it. Is that fair? A little bit. Let me, I, I want to look up how old is he? Um, hold on a minute. Let me, let me check this. Oh, he's 29. That's what I, I thought. 29. Little, yeah. Yeah. A, a little. I, I, Cause just, okay. Once he turned 30. Uh, so it's April 22nd, 1994. So the end, he's just turned 29 and the end of the season, he'll be 30. I mean, a little, yeah. I mean, again, like I, I, I think he's a really good player. I know Rick Carlisle thinks he's a really good player. Um, and again, the guy just averaged twenty four point two last yes. year. I mean, like he's just he, the dude just gets buckets. You know, twenty twenty four point two, seven point eight rebounds. And see, this is like something with me that would be next. To, it would be next to Miles, not without Miles. If you could do that, because like, well, but like, who would Toronto take if not? Yeah, I know it doesn't make. You I mean, know, like, who, I mean, who, who can you bounce Toronto around take? a third? Is there a third team that you could bounce around? Because that's that's I, why I, I find it really. I want to talk about it because it's a hell of a rumor, but I, yeah. I don't find it believable yet because it just doesn't seem like the Pacers would have enough that they would want to part with right now to do it. Right. I mean, he's 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 older than everybody that's like kind of part of your core. You know, other than Buddy, who's thirty and is on an expand and on an expiring deal. I mean, like again, like they could take Buddy and you know on the expiring deal and, and know they're going to get all that money in a year. Um, you know, if they're really trying to bust this thing up with Van Vliet gone now and everything like that. But like, I, I just I just don't see how they have enough. I and mean, even if they involve a third team, like they got to give up something to somebody. You know, and and again, like I, I you got to put in at least close to what you're taking out of that. And, and again, like I like they they probably have the the money right now to pull it off. I mean, there's probably they're probably south of the luxury tax enough that they could get in there, you know, and and take him. Um, I'm trying to figure just what I'll, I'll find his salary or whatever. I know it's substantial, um, but it's just yeah, like a, a year from now or two years from now or whatever. Like if you want to keep him, it's going to be more expensive. And you know, I I just can't see 
them being able to get into this without giving up somebody, you know, just big, important, and real, and somebody's going to be part of their that, that that's part of their bigger plan. Like again, I just I just don't think Buddy Hill's enough. Like I think I think you know, if, to, to get a player like that, you you know, like you almost have to part with Turner. Well, let's, let's think about this before we get to the summer league. And Dustin DePurek joins us from Vegas, the side of the summer league game two for the Pacers later on tonight. He's with us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Um, it, it certainly would sound like that there was a a big time detour from initial thoughts directionally where the Pacers are going because that is a we believe we can win right now move and I'll have you answer that but could there be conversationally what they've done now longer term with Tyrese Halliburton and the words of Tyrese Halliburton saying hey you know we expect to win right now I mean could have a lot of their thought process on what they believe this path to be changed over the past six plus months or so, I mean, I think their I think their timeline is pushed up, but not like this. You know, I, I think my thought, my general thought is, and 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 I think this is sort of how Tyrese has talked about it. I, I think it's reasonable for this team to think it should make the playoffs, but there's still a lot to go before you're talking about a championship. Um, I mean, there there is the other, this other piece too that I, I I did check this out now, and, and so Siakam is also on, a, on an expiring deal. He's due thirty seven million this year, and he's an unrestricted free agent next year, and so they could obviously bring him on for a year and let him walk, right? Um, if they wanted to, and again, like I I just I I don't like the idea of giving up Turner for that, you know, like on, on last. I don't like the it. idea of giving up Turner at all. So I just yeah, it I seems like if that's, that, I, if that's a piece you're playing, if that's a piece you're playing, you're going for you want him with Miles, you want him with. Exactly. Halliburton. So that doesn't exactly. make any sense. And it's just and just on the flip side of it, like what would you know? Like I mean, again, I, I get. I guess if you brought a third team in, maybe you could put Buddy in that, and maybe some smaller parts, and and end up with Siakam on the other side. But I, I just. I don't get off the top of my head. Like, obviously, I'm, like, first year covering the NBA, and I haven't seen a really good – you know, the Pacers do a really big three-team deal where, you know, they're putting a lot in and, and everything. I mean, they obviously were part of the big one at the tri- at the deadline where they basically got, like, you know, Jordan Nora, like he was a couch that somebody had to get rid of. Right. You know, like uh, – so it's just like I'm, I'm just, like, just off the top of my head. Like, I, I just can't imagine you get a player that good – that expensive without putting somebody in that's really, really good and pretty expensive. And, like, Buddy gets you part of the way there, and I just don't know if he gets you all the way there. And so, again, like, I don't think they should look to trade Miles, like, from for, for their, you know, like, I think they're better off having him, you know. Like, he's the best-dressed player at the, at the NBA Summer League. I just want to point that out just so everybody agrees with me. Um, but, like, uh, you know, I don't know – I, I I, I don't. I don't see it. But I mean, they must have at least. They must be at least taking the calls. They must be at least throwing something out there. And and you know, the, the Raptors must be listening to it. But I'd be, yeah. I I don't like the idea of giving up Miles for that because I also like even though he's only got two more years in this deal that he just signed, I, I do think you can keep him. You know, like I I think that's doable in two years. Like I think if you give him a solid raise, get him up to twenty five, maybe thirty, if he plays well enough to earn it, you know, you can keep him and he can be your guy in the middle there for a while, and, and that could be a key piece. So, yeah, I I don't love it, um, but I mean, I, I get also thinking like Siakam's a really really good player, and 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 you know, I'd I'd want to know what it was going to take from me. Yeah, so Dustin DePurek of the Stars with us. Um, are we – I would say yes, but I want your opinion on it because famously we remember years ago when, when Larry Bird stated that Paul don't make the decisions around here. 
I know that Tyrese Halliburton is not making decisions, but how much influence and or input does he have with maybe a win-now mentality over what they thought it should be this time a year ago? What do you think? I mean, like, a significant amount, but I don't, like – I, I thought Kevin Pritchard was pretty honest when we, we talked to him. I think this was April um, because, again, Rick Carlisle, it, it, this was kind of how it went, was that we, we talked to Carlisle and he said that, you know, they had told Halliburton that he asked he should consider himself a partner in the franchise. And Pritchard was pretty good about laying it out and saying, like, I want his input on everything. I want to know what he thinks about everything because – you know, not just because he's a great player, because he's such a good connector. He's, he's such a high basketball intellect guy, and he cares about all this stuff. Like, like Tyrese is invested in. Like, he cares about who's getting traded, where, who's moving around. He's getting to know these guys. Like, he he cares. Like, he wants to watch these games. Like, he was at. I mean, I, I think they had 16 work draft workouts. I think he was probably. I think we saw him at 13 or 14. I know there was like a couple he left town for, but like he was there in almost all of them. So he is taking seriously the idea that he's a partner. And I think they really trust, again, just the way he views the game, probably more than anybody trusted it from Paul George. Again, I wasn't here for that, you know, and, and I don't really know Paul that well, but man, Tyrese is so sharp. I mean, when you, when you talk to him and you would get him just, babbling about basketball and who's doing what here and what they should do and what they should do. Like he, he really gets it. You know, I mean, like he's going to have a basketball career beyond his playing days in something, whether it's media, whether it's a front office, whether it's coaching, like he, he it, it, as long as he wants to, he has that mentality, that, that capacity. So, um, you know, it, it, it makes a lot of sense. Uh, it, it makes a lot of sense to, um, you know, to give him some level of keys. But Kevin Pritchard made a point of also saying, look, like, I, I make the final decisions. I don't want to put the pressure on him that he's got to be the guy that makes the choices. So he ultimately has to say this is kind of where our timeline is, and I'm sure they talked it out. But I, I do think that Pritchard already was thinking that, that this is further along. We should move this further along. You know, we, we have more talent, and we're ready, you know, that, that this is – uh, this team is capable of making a step if it gets some pieces, if it drafts well, it's it's capable of going up. I and again, like I don't see yet a view that this is a swing for the fences. You know, let's try to win a championship now, team. Like again, you're talking about a situation where their best player, again, that they just gave a max deal to, is 23, and their probably second best asset still at this point is 20 in Benedict Matherin. So if he's not 21 yet, but one or the other, one way or another, that's kind of where you're at. Like your two sort of core, most important, this is what you're building around pieces. And even the new guys they added, you know, about what Bruce Brown's, I think 26, I think that's the same age. Obi Toppin might be 24. You know, like these guys are still young. Everything they're bringing in is young. Um, It's talented and it's young. So they're not going crazy yet. Siakam obviously would be a departure. You know, that that would be a significant departure. And, you know, that would suggest to me some change in dynamic. Um, But I think that they are on the same page in believing that the step to being a playoff team is makeable. The step to being a championship team is further down the line, but the step to being a a playoff team right now is a makeable step. So they have made moves so far to protect themselves. Bruce Brown Mm -hmm. had a a 
protective device on it as well with a couple of years. You know, obviously not giving up much at all with Obi Toppin. The guy could bounce after this year, but if he has a really good year, um, seems like maybe you'd want to stay and still reap the benefits of where you had that that good year after the disappointing years as a lottery selection in New York. And the Pacers, you know, gave up you know a couple of second rounders for that. Um, can you view this situation as far as being in a you know a contract that's going to end with Siakam that way? It just seems like I don't. You wouldn't want to give up a lot that you embrace or a lot that you would expect you could use further down the road for a situation like this in the now simply because I'm with you. They should make the postseason. They should win 45 games coming up next year. Mm-hmm. But that would be a move. That's like a Eastern Conference Finals type of move to me right there. Yeah, yeah, no, I agree. I agree. That That's pushing it a little, a little bit further down the line. I'd like, again, I, I, I get I get reading into it, and, and I guess if you can get him for cheap, take him. You know, I mean, I guess that's the thing. Like, if if, if you can get him without having to trade Miles, I you know, I'd have to think about it. You know, especially if Buddy's the you know lead member of the deal, and you know, like from a reporter standpoint, I'm gonna miss, I would miss the crap out of Buddy. He was over here, you know, at, at summer league, like you know, taking loose balls and like shooting him from shooting them from the stands until like the ref had to tell him no. Um, and the guy just cracks me up. But like, you know, I get it. That you know, if if Buddy's heel, you know, is, is uh, you know, contract is expiring anyway, and Siakam's is expiring. Well, you know, and they're both the same age, and Siakam's an upgrade, you know. And so, if you can make that deal, I get it. You know, if you can make it without trading Miles, and I, I just have a hard time thinking Toronto is going to do it, or you know, anybody else is going to be a part of a deal where Buddy is the best player that Indiana is putting in the mix. Yeah, and how much of this could ultimately be, Dustin, to – I mean, they lost Van Vliet, um, mm-hmm. and it sure. doesn't appear as if they want to go ahead and reboot things, but, I mean, is this, informationally speaking, is it trying to get, you know, a guy that's going to be 30 coming up in April, an extension with the Raptors here for what he wants? Could be trying to get an extension, could be trying to draw up a market to move him. You know, just to kind of say, like, hey, these teams are out there and they've got interest in a power forward, right. you know, like something like that. You know, even though the, the paces are really addressed that between the draft with Walker and, the, and, and you know, adding Toppin, um, you know, it, it could be. Um, it's it, it could it, it, all of these can obviously be moves. I mean, you look at how many uh, free agents the Pacers were connected to, you know, leading up to you know the day one of free agency, and almost all of them uh, signed big contracts to stay where they were. You know, like I am sure that those, all of those guys are better off because there was rumored interest from the Pacers. You know, and so what was true, what wasn't. I mean, I would I, I would have called about almost all those guys, Jeremy Grant, certainly Harrison Barnes with the connections that he had with Halliburton and with Rick Carlisle, um, you know, Rui Hachimura, Cameron Johnson, you know, all of those, Kyle Kuzma, uh, those are really talented guys who have been really good fits. And, you know, and I, I'm sure they did call or tried or whatever, and all that interest I'm sure led to each of those guys getting big contracts, especially Grant getting five years, $160 million. You know, so obviously a lot of this stuff gets used for different purposes. So 
you know, wouldn't surprise me that that there's some smokescreen action there. Um, but you know, you got to take from where I stand. You got to take it all seriously because certainly these, you know, they're not well, all always calling you and telling you exactly what they're thinking. Well, I, and, and and listen, Mark Stein is is in on stuff. Um, he's legit on, yeah, on he's a legit. national level. He's in on stuff. I think that uh, I don't think he had it first, but uh, he had like early interest in the Pacers with Bruce Brown. When I, I'm not yeah, suggesting no, we were dismissing that. Too. So and I mean. Yeah, so he's been on a lot of what the Pacers are doing before they've done it on the early stages of it. So I think that mm-hmm. this I think desires a little bit more focus than if just some, you know, somebody we don't really know too well is knocking that yeah, no, theory you, around. You can't you can't write off Mark Stein. No, I mean like there's there's the Woj Shams level and they're seem to be getting everything directly. Um, but you know, right after that, Mark's as connected as anybody there is. It's uh, Dustin DePurak of the Star. We brought you on here because you're out in Vegas uh, for the Summer League. Game two is later on tonight. Uh, doubling back with, with Walker and company in mind, what do you think about that performance on Saturday against the Wiz? I'm impressive about a bunch of stuff. I, I thought uh, the defense stood out, which, again, is not something you see all the time uh, you know, in the Summer League. I, I think um, you know, it, it's certainly obvious that the Pacers are here with a couple guys that are already established. You know, I mean, like they put out a starting five that I would put up there with probably the top five starting fives out here in, in this event. You know, obviously, because certainly all the superstars are not playing in this and they're just coming to hang out. But I mean, and you can't I don't think you're allowed to be in this after your third year in the NBA. Um, but certainly because the Pacers are so young and have guys that are that young, you know, they were, you know, Matherin, Nemhard and Isaiah Jackson are just functioning at a different level than the guys that Wizards were putting out there. So, but you, you brought those together Add Walker, who's really, really good defensively, and you had some really sharp stuff going on, especially in the second quarter when they held the Wizards to 3 of 18 shooting. It was pretty tough, and they lagged a little bit in the second half, but still, uh, you know, that part was pretty impressive. You know, I thought, I, I, again, liked what we saw from def- defensively from Walker, that one block where he just kind of swallowed up Quentin Jackson whole going for a dunk, uh, you know, really stood out. Again, you, you see the length, you see the athleticism. It's, it's shot blocking, but it's not even just that. I mean, he, he picked a couple guys' pockets on the perimeter, um, and so so basically everything you heard about him as a defender checked out in that game. You know, his, his versatility, you know, what he can do with that length, how he can keep guards in front of him, but also how he can react uh, and get down there to block a shot. I mean, he was supposed to, you know, on, on that play when he had the block, you know, his guy was at the left elbow at the three-point line, and he saw that guy beat Wong. Um and he got just right to the rim, was right next to him, and, and the guy went up for a dunk, apparently didn't see him, and, and felt the brunt of that. So so I thought that was impressive. Again, thought Jackson showed a lot of uh, really good energy, you know, with the dunks and the rebounds. I think he had 21-14, something like that. Um, you know, that that's you know that that's good news basically obviously he's not going to be a guy that's going to start but you continue to continue to see that that him him his energy run the floor block shots get rebounds dunk the ball uh you know he can be effective in that range certainly Matherin looks fine um you know i i'm sure Matherin after seeing jabari smith go off for 35 Matherin's going to be going to want 40 tonight um you know so he's going to be out there chucking it this should be a fun time Memhard looks steady um had more way more turnovers than i thought i don't even know it, it said eight in the box score. i don't know where those came from um but all those guys were were were, were sturdy and played like I, I thought like veterans, so that allowed uh, the Pacers to really sort of see you know act like far ahead of the game just because they they have guys that are already established and played a lot of minutes in the NBA already, even though it's their first, second, third year guys. Any surprise names that maybe you weren't thinking about before the performance that that stood out to you as, as we um, go into tonight's game two? 
the one guy who I thought did stuff that, that was sort of notable on that level, I mean, I'm not utterly shocked because I knew he was a really good athlete and everything like that and that, that this would be this sort of uh, event that he could shine in. But Kendall Brown, I thought, looked really good. Uh, you know, just, just the length that he's got, the athleticism. He was dealing with injuries. Obviously, he's a two-way guy to start with, so he's only coming up for so many games anyway. Um, but you know, athleticism is really, really good. Certainly looks healthy now after he was dealing with like some kind of, like, I think it was like, yeah, I think he had a stress, stress fracture, stress, stress fracture in his left leg. I think um, at the end of last season, he missed a bunch of it. So you didn't even see him come up anytime they were bringing up two way guys. Um, but, you know, I think he had four, maybe five block shots, uh, you know, rebounded it pretty well, you know, got out in transition, dumped the ball. Uh, you know, so, so that's a lot of good things there. I expect certainly as, you know, some of these vets kind of cycle out, at, you know, when you get into game three and game four out here. So I think you're going to see more from Brown, you know, more tonight and probably more in the next game. And so you're going to get a better sense of what he's all about. And then also there'll, there'll be some other guys who haven't gotten in yet that I think uh, will also get some more work. You'll, you'll see some more opportunities for Ben Shepard. Um, you know, you'll see some more opportunities for guys like Darius McGee and I, Isaiah Wong, and, and they'll, they'll have more of a chance to take over going forward. It's uh, Dustin DePurek right there in Las Vegas with us uh, covering Summer League for the Pacers and a lot more for us from the star on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. So four bodies in Lake Mead last year is what they found. Four bodies. Wow. wow. I guess that's probably smaller than I thought. <laughs> there are probably more there. They just found those. So, yeah, found yes. them. <laughs> All right, man, I appreciate you. Enjoy the game tonight. Sounds good. Will do. Thank you. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. But on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline, uh, he, uh, basketball news, friend of the show Evan Sidery is here because I want to get a little bit more background in a rumor that this afternoon has caught a little bit more steam with Mark Stein kind of jumping in on that regarding Pascal Siakam and reported interest from the Pacers. Evan Sider, he's on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. What can you tell us? Yeah, so according to Mark Stein in his latest newsletter today, he mentioned that Pascal Siakam and the Raptors are still not close on a future extension, and he might actually be on the move here relatively soon, which is kind of a surprise because it's kind of died down lately in NBA news. But the Raptors are reportedly still listening to trade offers on Pascal Siakam. The Hawks are mentioned, but also the Pacers. And Mark Stein mentioned that they're reportedly, quote-unquote, a serious contender for acquiring Pascal Siakam, which kind of surprised me, John, because they just drafted a four in Jairus Walker. They just traded for a four in Obi Toppin. So a very interesting move this would be, but if they do go out and get a Pascal Siakam, this team could actually be a legitimate contender, in my opinion, next season. Uh, Evan Sidery of Basketball News with us. So explain to the folks out there, hype again, this is a report, but how might that financially and then trade-wise work from a Pacer standpoint? Yeah, so Pascal Siakam actually has a pretty big salary next year. He's on an expiring contract, so I actually imagine the price wouldn't be that high as far as draft compensation goes, but $38 million next year, Pascal Siakam is owed, and the Pacers need to match around $30 million in salary to make that happen. So you have to imagine Buddy Heal be included in that, but I personally heard that they really value Buddy Heal, and they want him to be their sixth man of the future. So I doubt that Buddy Heal is on the move. I think they want a, a lot back in return for Buddy Heald. And the Pacers can still make it work financially, even without Buddy Heald's $19 million salary. Just for example, they can make the salaries work with Daniel Tice, TJ McConnell, 
Aaron Neesmith, Jalen Smith, and Jordan Ward. That's a lot of players there. We've been talking about for a while, John, they have a lot of young players and they consolidate those players. If you want to include all those players in that deal, plus maybe a future pick they just got from the Nuggets in that deal, the 2024 first from them, maybe the Raptors take that. They get a lot of depth. They get a future pick back in return for an expiring contract. I do think, honestly, that can make that can make sense for Indiana if they really want to make a win now push next season. But, again, looking at it more from a long-term perspective, how does Siakam fit next to Jairus Walker? Because I think Jairus Walker's a natural four. And if you get Siakam in here, he'd be playing the four as well. I um, For the long-term in what they have, to me, this kind of sounds like that it would have to be nearly a 180 from where their thinking has been if they were to make a deal like this. You agree? Yeah, and I think they kind of gave a sneak preview of this thought during Tyrese Halliburton's press conference last week. And Kevin Pritchard and Rick Carlisle both mentioned the, the win total next season. And they're hoping for 45 to 50 wins next season. And I took them at their word for that. And if that's truly the case, they think this is a playoff team next year. I think this is a 45-plus win team, which would probably be a top six team in the Eastern Conference next season, not including the play-in. And making a move for Siakam, who is a 25 point-per-game scorer. He's a good facilitator, too, a good defender, a veteran leader in the locker room as well for Toronto. I think he would definitely push them above that apron of 45 wins, potentially 50 wins next season. If you have Siakam with Miles Turner, you have Jairus Walker off the bench with Obi Toppin, you keep Andrew Nemhard around in that dude, keep Buddy Heald, obviously Halliburton and Matherin and Bruce Brown. That's a legitimate starting five, John. Then they could really go up against a lot of teams in the East and a lot of teams in the NBA. And if they were to get Siakam for next season, even with the risk of it only being a one-year deal, one-year trial run here, they would be a very, very good team next year, in my opinion. So, Evan Sider of Basketball News on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. That just, to me, would be a, that would be a different direction in thought if they were to to make a deal like that. It would be more of a win now mentality, which you know I, I would find interesting and certainly energizing. I just don't know. I'd have to, I guess, believe it to see it. Now I would ask you this: you, you mentioned it's tough to really see any type of deal of that magnitude going down without Buddy Heel being a part of it. I mean, it just it just does. But again, hypothetically, could a third team get involved in a situation like this too? I think so. If, if the Raptors, for example, don't want to take back five players in a deal, if they want to keep Buddy Heel out, but those players I mentioned before all add up to the needed salaries to get Siakam. They're all bench players. They all play a role here. But long-term, I don't think any of those five players I mentioned, Tice, McConnell, Neesmith, Smith, Nawara, I don't know if they're all starter-level players with the pace. So if you're getting Pascal Siakam in the building, that might be worth it, if you can especially convince them to stay long-term. But I have to imagine here, Buddy, he would have to be involved. If not, I think the pace are hitting a highway robbery without getting without including Heald for Pascal Siak because you can keep Buddy Heald out of that deal, John. You have a legitimate eight or nine player rotation, even after trading all those guys, where they are, I think, very much in that forty-five to fifty-win range. Uh, do you, that's yeah, that's that's incredibly interesting. Do you think at all that this you mentioned Tyrese Halliburton and and what he has said about his expectations? Do you believe at all there has been? a uh, somewhat change of heart about what they believed they could do compared to now what they can be- what they believe they can do this coming season win total wise I think so. I think based off what we've seen with Tyrese Halliburton and when he shared the core with Miles Turner, they have a positive net rating. They have a 45 to 50 win pace when those two guys played last year. 
And they've gone all in around Tyrese Halliburton, getting that $260 million extension. But they also added in Bruce Brown and Obi Toppin, two players that Tyrese Halliburton will thrive with because he loves playing in transition. They love playing fast. And those two guys thrive in that in that mold, too. So they're building this team all around Tyrese Halliburton. Pascal Siakam, if you're curious, he thrives in transition as well. He'd be a great fit as far as pushing the pace and playing a, a faster-paced style offense in Indiana. So I think that they're really building around Tyrese Halliburton, which obviously gave him that money that they're certainly doing so. I think Siakam has a certain a big roll of the dice because it's a huge flight risk if he can't keep him around past next season. But well, and you got two of them too. I mean, you got two, one one in, in, in Obi Toppin is in you know at a low price tag for a couple of second rounders, but you have two and would be in a similar situation. That seems like a lot for this team. Yeah, unless they believe maybe, John, that Jairus Walker could play small ball five or he could play the three. Because I know it's only been one summer league game so far, but yeah. the clinic ability that Jairus Walker showed, maybe it opened up their eyes a little bit. They maybe, maybe can play a couple more positions than they thought. And Jairus Walker could handle the playmaking load. And he can maybe be more versatile. Maybe he can play the small ball five. Maybe you could get him at the three a little bit, too, to play alongside a Siakam and a Miles Turner, for example. I think Jairus Walker could actually fit in that sort of scenario there. So I think that's a really intriguing thought. And I think with them, it's more so about if you roll the dice like this, like you mentioned, John, they really think they are a legitimate competitor next season. And that's a little bit surprising, but we've seen already, and the Pacers are getting a lot of hype nationally. They are certainly getting a lot of hype for being big winners the offseason so far. If they go out and get Pascal Siakam, I think they've really pushed that over the edge there. And it's a real good chance that I think they might be a top four team in the East next yeah, year. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, that 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 that, that, that shatters, I think, um, what everybody thought, at least the, the initial plan of what everybody thought. Evan, before I let you go here, I have to hit the top of the hour break, but are there any other teams out there that, that could absorb, could trade for, then absorb uh, – nicely a nice fit with Siakam in their situation right now because it it doesn't seem like to me from what the options hypothetically you've given that there wouldn't be better options somewhere else out there might there be yeah, there, there's only one team that Mark Stein also mentioned in his report, and this team's been floated out there for a while with Pascal Siakam. That's the Atlanta Hawks, who just re-signed DeJounte Murray on the contract, too. But they could fit salaries for Siakam. They could trade DeAndre Hunter, who was a Pacers rumor target for a while. He makes $20 million. You could throw in some filler into that deal and make it work, too. Maybe Clint Capella's included in that for a third team. So Atlanta's the one team to watch out for with Siakam. But according to all the buzz over the last 24 hours, it's Atlanta, it's Indiana. If the Raptors indeed decide to trade Siakam, those are the top two teams to watch. Right, uh, Evan Sidery of Basketball News, man. Uh, keep your uh, finger on all that uh, informationally is out there and make sure you come on here and uh, give it to us if you hear anything, okay? Absolutely. Anytime, John. Appreciate it. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. But on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline for the morning show, Kevin and Query, weekday mornings, 7 until 10 a.m. It is Jake Query with us. So I'm assuming the Bodines last night at Fountain Square did play that song, right? They did. Uh, and they were great. I'll, I'll tell you what, they were really big when I was in college, you know, same era as you, obviously. Yep. Um, and they sound great. I mean, like his voice has not changed at all. And they played at the Hi-Fi Annex, which basically is just behind the Hi-Fi there on in Fountain Square. Um, and it was great. I mean, it was a perfect night last night. They actually uh, closed with that song. They The last song they did in their regular set was Good Things, which I think the Bodines 
playing good things live is as good as it gets. So uh, it was a good show. It was a lot of fun. They, they played for like – the best thing about being in your 50s is the bands that you watched in college now only play for like an hour and a half. They play like an hour and 40 minutes. They're like, all right, thanks, good night. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that was uh, Party of Five, Bodine's fame too, Correct. right? The show Party of Five? Correct. You know, so many people, when you mention the Bodines, they're like, now they did the Friends song, right? I'm like, yeah. no, that's the Rembrandt. Yes. The Party of Five was the Bodines. Yeah, everybody got worn out on the Rembrandts more than they did the Bodines with uh, with the Party of Five thing. What was that? Uh, was Party of Five Nev Campbell, uh, Jennifer Love Hewitt, and Lacey Sherbet, whatever her name that's is? That's right. Jennifer Love Hewitt, by the way, the one year that I went to the Pro Bowl. Yeah. I went to the – I think I've told you this story probably 20 times, but I went to the Pro Bowl. It was the year of the liquored-up kicker Peyton Manning comment. <laughs> so I had a I had a media credential, and I was down, you know, after the warm-ups or whatever, and Jennifer Love Hewitt, I think, sang, like, the national anthem, and I was in, like, the back hallways of the stadium looking for a restroom, and I turned the corner, and the only two people in the hall are me and Jennifer Love Hewitt. And I said, hey, do you know where there's a restroom around here? And she goes, well, there's a locker room like right around the corner. And I went in the locker room, and all the mascots that were there for the Pro Bowl were relaxing before the game, and the Patriots mascot had his head off and was smoking a cigarette with the dolphin. True story. <laughs> Pretty awesome. I'm, I'm almost disappointed. Regular mascots. I'm disappointed you didn't spend more time with Jennifer Love Hewitt. I had to go to the bathroom. Yeah. Yeah, sometimes that gets get in the way. Yeah. The anthem. You know, yeah. Sometimes that gets in the way. I mean – Jennifer Love Hewitt had zero interest in hanging out with me, I can assure you. She would rather hang out with a party of five than the party of this one. I don't know, man. I think you could give her you can give her a minute of that query conversation. That might be a mind changer right there. (laughs) I mean, I you know I mean look, she she spent more time with Carson Daly, so holy hell, how much worse could it be? Have you ever noticed here's a Carson Daly fun fact for you? If you watch Carson Daly, notably back when he was on MTV, but even still when he's on like NBC shows, his non-mic hand, he never knows what to do with it. And he looks like Farley interviewing Paul McCartney. He like sits there and fidgets with his hand and makes like... Like Ricky, like, like Ricky Bobby when his hand keeps coming up. <laughs> yeah, that's right. He never knows what... He's like cracking his knuckles the whole time. It's very... Once you see it, you'll never unsee it. I, would, I, I don't watch it very often, but I would I would watch for that. I always thought his claim to fame, I mean, it, it's incredible how long he had that last call show. There there could not have been more than two people that ever watched that. Undoubtedly. Hagan and I are the only two people that were up that late. We yeah. were watching Blind Date with Roger Lodge. And you wouldn't watch it if it were on at 7 o'clock. What's that? You wouldn't have watched it if it was on at 7 o'clock. <laughs> so. That is also a correct statement. Yes, true. <laughs> but nah, didn't he not go to high school? with uh what's the player's name was it tony tarasco that most notably was the uh the guy underneath the ball that uh the yankee fan jeffrey whatever his name was took away remember in the postseason jeffrey Jeffrey mayor jeffrey mayor yeah he took he reached out and took it away and he was kind of settled underneath it in right field i believe which was going way way back a a huge moment of conversation Yeah, it was the Orioles, yeah. yeah. Most notably, I think he played for the Braves, but he was in Baltimore and he was in right field for that moment, I believe. That's a solid, solid recall right there. Thank I you think very the, more, much. the scarier thing, the scary thing here, which probably says a lot, is that you remember the first and last name of the outfielder. I remember the first and last name of the 12 year old <laughs> kid that was 
that was lifted over to steal the home run and became an instant Bronx hero. See, I limped to the finish on this story and this recall with the Jeffrey What's-His-Name reference right there. I limped to the finish line <laughs> on that. <laughs> That's right. Here's, uh, here's one for you. Yeah. Who is more famous uh, nationally? Now, obviously, for around here it would be the answer is obvious, but who's, who's more famous in terms of the moment, Jeffrey Mayer or Steve Bartman? Oh, there's no doubt, be, Bartman. Yeah, Bartman. Got to be Bartman, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, Bart, Mayor never got. I mean, he was celebrated, right? I mean, Bartman. Oh, I Bartman yeah, was not sure. <laughs> well, not celebrated. Yeah. Baltimore. Yeah. Hey, how about the dude? Have you ever seen the video from like '77 at Riverfront where there's a yep. foul ball along the first base side? <laughs> dude falls over the the literally falls over the ledge to try to get it. And he's hanging by by his arm, kicking his kicking his corduroys back and forth and his buddies pull him up and like they pull him back up to safety and and literally he just like high fives a couple and goes and grabs beer and sits back down like yeah that was weird that was the summer of 81 in cincinnati against the braves and he was a nose tackle high school wise from the state of ohio that spent one year as a freshman in the foster quad dorms he was one year on the iu football team well, I mean, clearly he had, like, great body strength on his right side to be able to, once his buddies yep. grabbed a hold of him, he was able to, like, pull himself back up. It was pretty incredible. Well, our friend, mutual friend Jay law um, was, on, I, I guess, in the same, I forget, what's Foster, what do you got, Foster Harper and Foster, Foster Shea? Harper, that's right. Foster and Harper, I forget right. which Foster it was. Was there a Foster Martin, Foster Grant? Foster George, something like that, but it was Foster something, and he was in J Law knew Foster him. Brooks. It was a wild man, Foster Brooks. <laughs> yes, <laughs> but he, I just knew this when I was in college. You didn't want to live in Eigenman or like Briscoe was kind of off campus. Like those in Reed, those are the three that were just non. Like they were just too far out. Nothing was happening there. You wanted to live in McNutt. Or you wanted to live in right. Those are the two cool. I mean, now it's all different. I, now they got hardwood floors, granite marble tops. What the hell are we doing? Tile floors and beds that come out of the wall. That's where it should be for college kids. I worked a, a summer on the crew to clean up those dorms and get them ready for you know cams that they have, and then get them ready for the school year. It was a horrible job. I was going to say, how horrible was that? Well, I would go off in one of the quads, you know, not named Foster Harper, and, and sleep for about two hours, and then, like, reemerge later. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't last too long in that gig. The worst job I ever had was also in Bloomington. I won't say the name of the restaurant because they're good people, and I love the owner, but I desperately needed a job. I knew the owner of a restaurant. He said, the only thing I have is pots and pans, washing the pots and pans in the back. And I'm like, all right, I'll, I'll take it. And I worked with one other dude. I think I told you he was the last remaining member of the Monkeys fan club in Monroe County, and he sang Monkeys songs for like <laughs> six hours a day. Well, I had a sinus infection for six months because I was trying to wash pots and pans. It was awful. <laughs> awful. So, Jake Cray, the morning show with us. So, I saw where Jim Irsay was on with McAfee earlier today. And one of the things I'm really interested in finding out is once training camp is underway, where Shaquille Leonard is. Because if you go back, when I had Chris Ballard on with me in February at the Combine, uh, when I asked about him uh, being back to the complete player that the Colts thought he was going to be, Ballard's response was, quote, I wouldn't bet against it, which, you know, was not a great deal of confidence in that particular quote. Uh, Jim Irsay, when asked about Shaquille Leonard today, 
Quote, he's working. He has a chance. He's getting a little better each day. That doesn't sound great either. Yeah, that um, we've heard. I, I, I've seen this movie before. Oh, right? we have. That sounds like it's, it's right out of the Andrew Luck playbook right there. I, I think the next thing, the next line that they use, the next card they pull out is, if this were a must win, he'd be available. That was the Mar- <laughs> I don't, well, was see, like I don't know if they would go that. Person. That's going pretty far right there. I don't know. I, I don't know about any of this, Jake. I don't. Yeah, and here's the thing. And this has nothing to do with Shaquille Leonard as a person. He's a wonderful player. There's no doubt he's a wonderful player. But part of what makes him a wonderful player is, I, I, not to use a buzzword here, but his motor, his ability to just go kind of an extra 5% in terms of speed and instinct above others. And if he's holding up at all, if he's, you know, we 90, the hardest thing about injuries for an athlete and yeah, it's true. I was never an elite level athlete, but we've. But even as a, as John Q. Public, you turn an ankle playing pickup ball. You get up in the morning and you strain your back, whatever it might be. The hardest thing about coming back, you know, for me, I mean, when I've had physical issues, and I think everybody knows about physical issues, the hardest thing for me was psychological. Like even when my doctor's telling me, like you, you can go, you can push a little bit further. In your mind, as soon as something, as soon as you get like a PTSD of a similar sensation, you, you pump the brakes a little bit. And that's going to be the hardest thing for him, right, is coming back, even if he comes back in, let's say, in six weeks, he is given a 100% bill of health, clean as a whistle, go full bore. John, he hasn't moved at full speed, un, uninhibited, without any sort of a physical ailment in how long? He's going to, to to fight through that barrier alone. Yeah. is going to take a couple of months. That's going to be the challenge. Even if his body tells him it's okay to go, his brain is going to tell him to to slow up a little bit. And that's that's a natural human thing. That doesn't that's not a weakness of his. That's a natural thing. So I, the longer this goes, man, I'm telling you, they Zaire Franklin. You know, EJ Speed, those guys are going to be critical, critical pieces for them because I think you've got to assume that you are going without his services and anything that he's able to give you is gravy. I just, I thought of it this way because there was another quote when I think Pat asked him about Jonathan Taylor. It was, you know, to paraphrase here, basically Jonathan's good to go. You know, Jonathan's healed up. But then when I asked about Shaquille Leonard, he's working, he has a chance, he's getting a little better each day. And, Man, have we seen that before. That does not inspire a great deal of confidence right there. I mean, he has a chance. You know, I mean. I guess you would ask, so why why would he not have a chance here? Right. Right. That would be a good follow-up, yeah. When healthy, he's the incumbent starting linebacker and best defensive captain of your team. Of course he's got a chance. (laughs) But, uh, you know, I mean, I, I guess the other question would be, then how close is he to not having a chance? Right. <laughs> yeah. Doesn't sound good. That doesn't sound good. And, and again, I will also advise to everybody out there, because I'm assuming everybody feels the same as we do. We have been down this path before. Thus, it's not like it, 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 I mean, you, you take kind of the, the negative route. 
because you've seen this or you feel like you've seen it before. Uh, so you're not going to sit there and go, oh, yeah, this dude is going to be absolutely perfect once again and be exactly what we thought he was going to be when we extended him. It just seems like with quotes like that, you're you're pretty far away from that ever being a chance of happening again. It just does. I, I, I have nothing to base this on. I want to make clear. I think sometimes it's important to make that disclaimer so that people don't think that you're reporting something. This is just strictly – Gut tea leaves, experience, and whatever. I hope he plays this year. I hope he plays at a high level. I think as a Colts fan, it is in your best interest to assume that he's not that he is still working his way back and anything you get from him is gravy. Period. I, even if he is cleared tomorrow, he's then it's you know, he's still probably at that point three to four months from going without impediment, psychologically or physically. And now you're into October, November. You know what I mean? I mean, that's uh, saying that a guy has a chance and is getting better every day is code for. We have no idea what the hell is going on. Yeah. So that's just um, just a couple of interesting things today. And, and believe me, outside of of Anthony Richardson, outside of Anthony Richardson, Shaquille Leonard's at the top of my list because there is just. You know, there there is more unknown, and it seems like every day that passes, there builds more not just uncertainty, but um, you know, negativity or doubt that he's going to be anywhere near what he was. So I, you know, it just it didn't clarify things whatsoever. Probably you know clouded things a little bit more. Yeah, so, I, yeah. I'd agree with that. Totally agree with that. Anything else? All right, what did you think about summer league the other night? You know, first off, it's fun. Um, I like seeing it because all of a sudden, out of nowhere, within the last two years, we now have stuff to talk about, right? Because, I mean, John, I remember when Summer League, like as recently as like three or four years ago, Summer League looked like I was watching the opening rounds of the Maui Invitational. There's like 200 people in the gym and everybody's got short sleeve shirts on and it looks like they're just kind of rolling in and out. Now, all of a sudden, they're playing in front of the Thomas, you know, Thomas and Mack and it's sold out. A lot of that's, you know, Web and Yama. I get it. But it's become a very cool, like, NFL, you know, combine level conversion on one place. So that's cool. Um, I love the fact that the Pacers have guys like Matherin and Nimhard who probably at this point don't need to play in it, but are doing so just to keep, you know, not only to kind of, it, it helps guys like Walker and Shepard to have some guys on the floor that they're going to play with in the regular season. Um, I love the humility of those guys saying like, yeah, let's go. Let's just, let's play. I like the fact that the other Pacer players, veterans are there in support, Halliburton, Turner, et cetera. Um, but at the risk of being all gumdrops and lollipops to use a Derek Schultz phrase, you know, it's still hard to tell. I mean, the reality is you've got to take it with a grain of salt. 90% of who they're playing against, those guys are going to be playing in Belgium in six months. Um, I thought Jarris Walker brought an incredible energy. You can't teach that. You can't teach instinct and you can't teach just energy on the floor. And, you know, you can eventually coach your way into being a better shooter or, or being in better position. But in terms of just having a natural instinct and speed level, Jarris Walker clearly has that. I didn't think he shot the ball very well, but that's not what he's out there for, to do. So, you know, it's encouraging from the guys that you needed encouragement from but it also needs to be taken with a grain of salt because it's not like they're playing against the Oklahoma City Thunder in November or the Golden State Warriors in January. They're playing against guys, for the most part, that are auditioning for European contracts. 
No, and they're just they're doing right now what they can do right now until you see them at a different level. And I, I did say right. this earlier. I love the fact that the core Pacers were there on the sideline. Totally. Um, I like that. I like that a great deal because there were certain steps, I think, even before. Uh, listen, they didn't make the postseason. All right. So you come off of 25 wins, 35 wins. And then I know that, that a lot of the Pacers, including Chad Buchanan, has done a lot to, you know, not squash, but to dial down a higher level of expectations. But I certainly have raised the bar on this group. And, you know, a lot of, of how you get going on this thing is how you guys relate to one another, and I like the fact that these guys are all in Vegas. It's not like it's North Dakota, all right? I mean, you're going to Vegas for this. It's not like it's North Dakota where you're going to watch your teammates play in Summer League, but I just think it, it shows you know a, a particular unity of a group that I think we knew Jake, or at least we thought was there, and I think it shows that, and those are the early stages and steps to take to raise the bar in a group that I believe needs to as far as expectations are concerned this year. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Um... I think it's going to be a fun group for people to follow because I do think that it starts with the fact that we're not in the locker room. You know, I mean, we're not reminded of that as much as we used to be now, are we? But, but that said, you still get a pretty good gauge for it. And I do think it's a group that is easy to, that's going to be easy to root for because they like each other for now and they pull for each other. And I think it's an important thing. And I think to people around here in particular, it's an important thing. The other thing I was going to ask you, and I don't know the answer to this. I probably should. So it used to be that you had the Orlando Summer League and the Las Vegas Summer League. Is Orlando – I mean, I know the Magic are playing in the Vegas Summer League. So is the Orlando Summer League done? Is this all-encompassing now? Um, I don't know. I'm not sure. I don't know. I, haven't, I don't have an answer to that question. I mean, because this has become – I'm not kidding you, like – I mean, it used to be the summer league. It was like, oh, the summer league's on, and if you have NBA TV, you can download it at nbatv.com with a subscription. And now it's like ESPN Tuesday night, seven o'clock prime. And again, a lot of that's women Miyama. I get it, but they're showing other games too. I mean, Portland's got good young players. You know, there, there are a lot of exciting young players in the league that are showcased in this, but they're playing in front of like twelve thousand people. It's crazy. It, well, it's funny to me because you'll watch something where initially it doesn't ring a bell. But I guarantee you, in all of these matchups, you'll find at least one or maybe even two players, uh, unbeknownst to you before you started watching that, that you would be interested in watching. It's just weird oh, how that happens. Doubt. Yeah, it always yeah, happens. Yeah. You know, it's just like when you go to a game. I mean, I go to games and, you know, the Pacers, just some random night you go to a game and the Pacers are playing, you know, insert name of random NBA team. And you're watching like, man, how do I remember this guy's name? And then you look it up. Oh, yeah, that's right. He was a a five-star that went to Kentucky and now he's, he's been in the league for five years and he's 22 years old. You know, I mean, it, yeah, that's how it goes, man. So Jay Query, the morning show, Kevin and Query weekday mornings here on the fan again, seven until 10 a.m. here on uh, 93.5 and 107.5. The fan, uh, anything else pique your interest? What do you think of the uh, LA de la Cruz stealing of three bases? And then obviously what took place in that moment I, to me, I mean, obviously, we'd never seen anything like that, but I'm an excited Reds fan, so that takes me to a different level, but he is so must-watch. I think even with my Reds fandom aside, he is so must-watch because his level of talent. Jake, I mentioned this. He is incredibly athletically gifted. You see that 
when he's out there. I mean, you see 6'5", the speed and all that, the power. But you watch when he stole second, third, and then stole home. He's got a great deal of baseball IQ at such a young age. He just measured that out when he was stealing home. I, just so all-encompassing impressive is that Reds player. Well, no question. By the way, the Orlando Summer League apparently went away in 2019, so right before COVID. Um, De La Cruz, you know, it's a little hard to say because I'm a Reds fan, so maybe I'm a little bit jaded by this, but – the last time when he the last time you and I talked about him, we were saying that the only time that I can remember a Reds rookie coming in and creating this kind of a must buy a ticket buzz was probably Araldis Chapman. Like everybody was just like, you know, this guy. Like everybody, you know, people couldn't wait to see him get in the game. I think we're at the point now where you you start talking about the last time a player in Major League Baseball as a rookie created this kind of kind of a buzz. I mean, obviously Shohei Otani. You know, they're great players. I mean, Mike Trout's a great player. You know, Daryl Strawberry, when he came in, was a great player, and there was a lot of drama. You know, you knew about him before he really started to put things together. But in terms of a burst on the scene, laying down his stamp, I mean, Fernando Valenzuela comes to mind of guys that just took the league by storm. You know, I agree with you about his instinct. The other thing about him is he has an Eric Dickerson-type quality in the fact that his size – makes him so sleek looking and the way that, you know, his speed is incredible. Um, His ability when he stole third, he's never stopping. I mean, the pitcher for Milwaukee clearly is like beside himself upset with the the, the two previous steals and doesn't even think about the fact that he's going to go for home. And he only needed a second, John. He needed a second of daylight and he was gone. And he was the only one out there that was even thinking about it. Um, You know, I think the most, the best way to summarize that entire sequence was whoever it was on the television broadcast. And I don't know if I was watching a, the clip that I saw. I don't know if it was a Reds or Brewers broadcast. It had to have been the Reds. When they said the most electrifying player in baseball or the most exciting player in baseball. I can't remember which adjective, but, but either one, it was accurate. I mean, the, the most exciting player in baseball. You never know from, you know, you the fact that he hit the site for the cycle in his 15th game. You never thought, you know, you thought, well, how do you top that? To steal three bases and two pitches, unbelievable. And you got to go down and watch them. I mean, that's the bottom line is you, you got to, you want to watch on TV, you want to buy a ticket. I mean, that's that's what the Reds have needed. Now you hope that they can lock him in and keep him as a prospect with them for the next 10 years. I mentioned this to you before because I actually asked um, Tommy Thrall, their play by play voice, this, or at least gave him my opinion. And De La Cruz, and I, I didn't mean this, you know, being, you know, an overall baseball player, but just being electric and waiting and watching because you wonder what he's going to do next. I put De La Cruz in that category with Bo Jackson. That's exactly how I felt watching Bo Jackson. I mean, really in two sports, but certainly in baseball. Pre-injury, you waited and you watched to see what he could do next. I mean, obviously, De La Cruz, you know, baseball-wise, maybe for a higher average, other things of that nature. But just the simple juice and the electrifying nature of what could be next, that's what I compared at that moment De La Cruz to with the voice of the Reds about a month ago. I agree with that. Now, you know, the word juice, I mean, to be fair, Let's be real here. The the three players that also 
in terms of like stopping. You want to see what they're going to do next. I mean, the summer of 98 with Sosa and McGuire. And then after that, when Bonds went on his tear, you couldn't get up. If you were in a restaurant and you were walking to the restroom and you looked up and Bonds was at bat or one of those two guys were at bat, you absolutely stopped to watch. There's no doubt about it. You stopped to watch. And, and I think that's where De La Cruz is. I mean, you, you, when when the camera is on him, you stop to watch because you don't know what you're about to see. And I would agree that that was true of Bo Jackson. And of course, in Bo Jackson's case, you also did it just to watch him in center field. Cause you had, no, I mean, you know, he might just decide to throw somebody out from the gap in right center, like at home plate on the fly. <laughs> and I, I think I think Ellie is you know that way defensively too. I mean, we just haven't seen. I don't think as much of that as we have seen. Yeah, he's in a position where it's yeah. harder to showcase that. For yeah, sure. well, it just. I mean, we've the the offense and the on the base skills, and I don't know how you feel about this because this really does turn back the clock. As much as they steal. Um, it, uh, it, you know, it's not station to station stuff anymore. And I, I know the people, I, I didn't like him, but I know a lot of people loved how the Cardinals played back in the eighties. I mean, they weren't station to station. They were on the move as soon as they got the first base. And you know, this Reds team plays with a, a similar fashion. I mean, they're always trying to take that extra bag. You know, if you're talking about stealing, if you're talking about, you know, just one that's not even in the gap, you're just going to take an extra bag. They're always kind of do that. They always play with the hammer down. You know, the other thing about it that's great, if De La Cruz has an energy about him, I don't know the guy. You don't know the guy. I don't know that, that how will we have his teammates know the guy yet. But he has an energy about him that's like a, a he's like the Danny De La Rosa or the, the um, excuse me, the uh, De La Rosa, the, the Danny, Danny Rojas from Ted Lasso. He's like the Danny Rojas of baseball. And then you got Joey Votto, who's in his 37th season with the Reds. And he's loving it, right? Like, he's he's deferring to that. I mean, Joey Votto's feeding off the energy and, and having fun with it and enjoying it. It is only a half a season. It's only the All-Star break. But so far, it is well beyond expectation. And it's a long time coming for us long-suffering Reds fans to be able to – it just makes summer that much more fun, man. When, when, when you get to come home and check the scores or – check in on the game and see what they're doing and know that they're never out of games. It's a hell of a lot of fun. Hey, by the way, one quick thing regarding the Pacers. Did you see the report that they're emerging as a legitimate contender to trade for Pascal Siakam? That was according to Mark Stein. So this may take it up a level of interest right here. The The curious thing is going to be what pieces they have to give up for that. They have assets. You know, the one guy that I think is interesting and intriguing, and I don't know if he would be one that, that's mentioned in that trade, but he's mentioned a lot, is Buddy Heald. And the thing about Buddy Heald, because he's such a good shooter, he's got some trade value, and obviously his timeline doesn't add up in terms of his age versus the age of which the Pacers' young core now is going to be hitting their prime. But I do think that he is a well-respected and well-liked player within that locker room. And I have been surprised, not because I thought he was a bad guy, but even Bruce Brown Jr., when I talked to him, was talking about how excited he was to play with Buddy Heald. And, you know, I think Buddy Heald carries a lot of respect. I think guys really like him and like his attitude. So, it, you know, you hope that, that somebody like him moving out, if he were the player, I have no idea, but if he were the player to be moved, I think you got to consider how that affects things. Because we've seen in the past when they overestimated the value of somebody coming in versus the value of the camaraderie of what was leaving. And I think it's something you got to weigh in. Well, I mentioned this only because we've seen rumors regarding Siakam before and Pacers interests, but coming from Stein, it's never come to anybody or from anybody in this case 
that you know has the background and stuff like this like Stein does. So I, I think that does kind of up the interest level a little bit. You know, Siakam's brother played at IUPUI. Yeah, I did know that. Yeah, he's got the he's got an indie connection. Maybe he can live go back and live in his dorm for a bit. Putting <laughs> here, if he moves. What are you guys doing in the morning? Uh, we're actually going to talk about you know the home run derbies tonight. We'll, we'll recap that, and then we're going to continue talking about the summer league actually, and and whether or not you know how much we see now. Namhard, Mathurin, those guys are we you know are they going to scale it down? Is this going to be the end of it for them in the summer league? Um, and certainly how they round out that roster or, or add to it or make changes still is it fluid. Those are the things we're going to talk about. All right. And obviously, obviously that Shaquille Leonard thing will be a major topic of discussion too. Really, really quick here. In terms of 90s films, who got more railroaded? Richard Kimball or Andy Dufresne? <laughs> <laughs> Well, they both came out smelling like a rose on the other side, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, you talk about major man. railroad jobs right there, though. Good Lord. What's the Chicago PD doing with Richard Kimball? You know, you know, there's How a can you not find a one-armed that, dude? There's the whole theory that Andy Dufresne, Andy Dufresne was actually guilty. Yeah. Um, but I'm going to say, I'm going to say Richard Kimball, man, that poor, that poor guy. I mean, are you kidding me? Like, you know, I don't know, though. Andy Dufresne. Spent 19 now, years in Shawshank, though. Was was Richard Kimball's wife killed? Yes, by the one-armed man, the lovely and talented well, Celia Ward. Yes, I knew that, but but you know, I would say actually Richard Kimball got more railroaded because he had to witness the whole thing. I don't think Andy <laughs> yeah. Dufresne was. He was out. He was out swigging yeah whiskey in his car. He had like nineteen years. And he had to dig through walls and swim through prisoner crap and everything. So. What, what year did he escape? Was it 66 or 67? See, uh, well, he got in in uh, 47 and escaped in 66, yeah. And 1966, Andy Dufresne. Yep, that's right. All they found was a rock hammer darn near worn to the nub. Awesome. If you ever go to, if you ever go to Mansfield, Ohio, man, you've got to go to the, to the Mansfield Reformatory, which was where they filmed Shawshank, and the whole thing now is like a museum for the movie. It is awesome. Yeah. Cannot suggest it enough. Yeah, tomorrow morning, Kevin Inquiry begins at 7 a.m. here on The Fan. Thanks, Jake. All right, Jamie, we'll see you. Meekum Auctions, the world's largest collector car auction company, returns to Indy with Dana Meekum's 37th Original Spring Classic, May 10th through the 18th at the Indiana State Fairgrounds. 3,000 muscle cars, Corvettes, exotics, and more. Broadcast on Motor Trend TV and streaming live on Max. From avid collectors to those new to the Meekum experience, we welcome everyone. Register to bid now at Meekum.com.